Hello and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. You might be confused because this is the second week in a row that I have introduced the show and I'm very happy to do it because Brian takes too much airspace from me. So I am Lauren from Swansea, the United Kingdom and with me as always is... It's Brian in Buffalo, New York, US of A, missing one evil head. Yes, Lauren, I am down to just my regular head. My second evil head, Bilal, has been removed. Yeah, thank you for the picture. I didn't want to see that. <laughs> you got, I just pic- kept messaging you to make the picture go up and away. <laughs> the, the picture she's referring to is not, um, um, I did not send Lauren dick pics people stop thinking that he would be dead if he sent me (laughs) those. well you'd be dead from laughter oh no you would be actually physically dead because i would have killed you and then sarah would have killed you and then cleo would have killed you from for being so stupid that you got killed that's true i sent you the picture of when they when they cut Bilal off and put him in the little jar of formaldehyde, which they wouldn't let me keep. No, because they have to make sure that it wasn't like an alien growth or something. Yeah, which is funny because, you know, the doctor, when he cut it off and he said, well, no, it's gone now. And I said, you do realize there were two sequels to Basket Case. He could be back. <laughs> doctor seemed quite amused by that. Um. Well, well, yeah, because he's probably got people freaking out over the skin tags. So it's probably just an infected skin tag. Well, I'll tell you what was funny is that when, you know, I sat in the chair and he says, and what are we here to do today? I said, I'm having my second evil head Bilal cut off. And he just kind of looked at me all weird. And then I showed him and he says, you named it. And I'm like, yeah, it's Bilal. And he goes, that is so cool because usually we name them after the people leave. This one's already got a name, <laughs> which means my doctor confessed to me that, yes, doctors do make fun of their patients when they leave the office. Well, I, I, well, I mean, it's like any customer service you you kind of do if they've been awkward. He was very, yeah, very happy that I named it myself. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's um, kind of like they're being mean, but can you imagine um, you know, it's nicer to say, oh, look at Bilal rather than look at that infected um, skin tag or look at Brian. Oh, no, sorry. <laughs> look at Jimmy rather than look at that tumor, you know. Yeah, yeah. You just called me a tumor. I understand. Hey, Lauren. I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, you know what the difference between ignorance and apathy is, Lauren? I don't know. I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry I called you a tumor. Uh, I've been called worse. And now that's probably going to be the uh, Easter egg. I'm, I'm pretty sure it might be. But I have been called worse, so I'm okay with that, uh. Anyway, other than Bilal being gone, what else is new in the world of Lauren? Well, um, Corey has gone up to, we don't have middle school in the United Kingdom. We have primary school, then we have secondary school, then they go to sixth form college, and then they go to university. So he has now gone to secondary school. He's gone to comprehensive. He's gone to big school. He's gone to high school. Do they make him wear those funny little outfits like Angus Young wears? He's got a uniform. He's quite smart. 
Yeah, no, they're not smart. Y'all think they're smart, but, you know, all of us people around the world, we laugh at the English kids who dress like that. But no, it's just trousers, a jumper, and a polo shirt. Yeah, we laugh at them. Well, at least, well, the thing is, at least we don't have guns. (sighs) You know, and if they did have guns, they wouldn't be wearing those uniforms, I'll tell you that. Well, no, um... I think it's nice to have uniforms because it gets you ready for the world of work where you do have to dress a certain way. And also it means nobody can make fun of you because everybody's wearing the same thing. I mean, I guess there's that, but at the same time, everybody in the world is making fun of you because you're all wearing the same thing. Yeah, but only in school, though. I mean. Yeah, I don't, you know. And, and, and. Is is he in a boys only school or is it a mixed school? No, it's mixed school. All right. And uh they uh you know, do they assume the gender of kids by assigning uniforms to them? No, what if what if what if uh, Corey wants to wear a dress? Well, there are no dresses. It would be girls can wear trousers and I don't know about skirts. Cuz you know, it's 2023. He could be a girl tomorrow if he wants to be. Um, No, he is very much not a girl. He is the gender he was assigned at birth, and he will tell you that. And he will punch you in the mouth for saying it. He will say that today, but, you know, tomorrow you never know. Well, that'll come, you know. He's he's all right. So you know what else happened? You want want, to know? Go ahead. No, I just cut you off. Theo, on the other hand, would wear a dress. Yeah, but he'd wear a dress just so someone would make fun of him and he could bite them or something for it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that is true. He does like fighting. Yeah, I, uh, who doesn't? He I mean, fights. I don't anymore now that I'm old, but. He fights first and then asks questions, which is quite a worry. Yeah, because his questions don't make any sense, probably. Um. Well, no, there was one time his brother said somebody had strangled him. So he went up to the person and punched them, and then, but he didn't find out why the person had strangled his brother, and it turns out Corey had been a bit of an idiot. And while nobody deserves to be strangled, the the boy was doing the strangling in retaliation to something Corey had said. Well, I don't condone any of this behavior, Lauren, but a punch is better than a strangle. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but... I mean, there are levels of brutality. I'm just saying that um, that Theo doesn't... If somebody hurts his brother that isn't him, it needs to be dealt with, with force. Well, I don't blame him. However, my week... It's only Tuesday, you know. I know. And because, you know, Monday in America was a holiday. Labor Day. It was Labor Day. And uh, now you're not meant to wear white now for like ever. I never wear white. Can you picture me wearing white? So what is this thing about wearing white after Labor Day? Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's it's bullshit etiquette about you're not supposed to wear white after Labor Day because it's summer clothes or something. It's all bullshit. Who gives a fuck what you want to wear? Unless you want to, you know. No, unless you want to wear something different to school as an English school kid, then you're in trouble. Because they all dress the same. He's not an English school kid. He's Welsh. UK school kid. Do you just assume my country? 
You called me a tumor. <laughs> hey, Lauren. Yeah. What do you call someone who sleepwalks to church? I don't know. <laughs> a Roman Catholic. <laughs> uh, that's not funny. You laughed. <laughs> I think that's not funny. I shouldn't laugh at that. But I can't funny. believe you laughed. You're like, you must be drunk. Lauren's drunk, everybody. I'm not drunk. Stoned? Yeah. Have a little of the ganja? No, I've never done that in my life. T- take a big toke, eat a bag of crisps, laugh at Brian's jokes. I can test to see if you're high or not. Lauren, what do you think about the bathroom, buddy? Awful. Okay, you're not stoned. But you know what happened to me yesterday? Like I said, I don't... We're having this weird heat wave here. Like, this is the time of year it's supposed to drop in temperature and it starts getting nice into fall weather. But it's like 90 degrees today, which... I don't understand that funny temperature shit you use. That's like 180 wherever you are. I don't know. No, it's not. No, no, it's like 30 degrees. Which is pretty damn hot, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's what it's like here. What's it like over there now? Um, We were a little bit behind you. It was 24 here today. Which is what, Lauren? To me, 24 degrees is snow. <laughs> no, 24 degrees is about 80 80, 80, 80, 80, 85. Yeah, that's fucking hot. I don't like it. Uh, like, it gets nice, but you can definitely feel a bit of a, you know, it's starting to get a bit crisp now. You know, it should be, but it's See, not. You got crisps on your mind because you're stoned. <laughs> not stoned, you tumor. Do you know what happened to me yesterday? I never got to tell you. You got stoned. Someone stole my mood ring. What? I still don't know how I feel about it. (laughs) Get it? Oh, hey, that was funny. So what are people saying about the wonderful case of the monk in North Wales then? You know, actually, we have gotten some feedback on that episode. And people loved it, but we've gotten a couple requests that, you know, you got you guys kept talking about this Doddleston messages, and we looked into that, and now you've got to do an episode on that. I so, know, right? So I think we're going to ask Kurt and um, and Tim to come back on and maybe do a show on the Doddleston, but maybe we'll keep that for one of our spooky October shows. Well, yes, because that is coming along now, so uh, it could be that you don't see us for very much of September, which I hope isn't true. So, because we keep things planned for um, October. But, yes, one of the ones we were talking about before we came on to record. Yeah, I mean, I would love to do some, uh, I think we'll do some September shows, obviously. But we're we're definitely going to do some October shows. Get a little spooky October. Ooh. And that's and that's Brian getting sued for copyright infringement. No, I can't. No. How about this one? Can you use those ones? I don't know. I'm just having fun. Um, 
if we're not here next week, it's because Brian is in um, jail. Because Lauren's using the bathroom, buddy. Stop it. <laughs> All right, I'll stop it. But I, um, yeah. So anyway, back to the feedback. People loved it. They want to hear about the Donaldson. So we're going to try to get Tim and Kurt back on. We're going to talk about that. Got some other great October shows coming up. But another bit of feedback we got was, <laughs> and I love this one. This one was sent in by a listener named Kevin. And not my brother, Kevin, surprisingly, but another I, I, Kevin. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to think it's your brother, Kevin, forever now. Well, you will, especially once you hear what he said. But it was not my brother, Kevin. I don't think Kevin listens to the show anymore. Um, I think after Lou Ross, who was on, I kept calling him a dick. He stopped listening to the show. But Kevin wrote in and said, I can't believe transatlantic history ramblings did an episode about a possessive possessed house by a monk. He wrote that sentence wrong, but that's okay, Kevin. We'll forgive you. And Brian didn't make jokes about hung monks. There, there was a reason for that. Why did that him? That means Kevin's a longtime listener because he heard all the hung monk jokes. Yeah, it's it's kind of like with something like that because of the fact that there was a family involved, I very much laid down the law and said it wasn't appropriate. Yeah, Lauren said I was not allowed to make a hung monk joke. No, I wasn't. I did said that. I know. I don't think our audience liked that very I mean our studio audience. They were a little upset by that. We all know your student audience is just Jeremy tied to a radiator. Hey, guys, what do you think about it when Lauren said I couldn't make hung monk jokes? Yeah, see? Jeremy's got good at projecting his voice. Yes, hasn't he? You know, we should try to get Jeremy back on for October. He's a horror movie star. Yeah, it would be good if we got him on for the Doddleson messages. Oh, my. Can you imagine me and Jeremy getting to make fun of that with those guys? Yeah, it'd be funny. It would be. But, uh, yeah, I think that would be good if we got him on to do that, because I know that he is rad chad, but it would be good for him to, to for us to talk about it with him, and he can. Plus, you know, whenever me and Jeremy get together, it's good times abound. It has nothing to do with the snuggle pillow. Oh, his fa- I, I will always remember his face the first time he saw that. He thought it was a joke. Plus, people love it when Jeremy comes on and and uh, Lauren number two appears on the show. Yeah. Except you. You don't like that one. But, uh, yeah, so Kevin loved the episode, but he was weirded out that I didn't make any hung monk jokes. And now we know why, because Lauren wouldn't let me. No, I would not let him. No. Oh, you know what else happened to me, Lauren? Uh, no, what now? So, I entered, you know, I'm a writer, you're a writer, we're writers, but I entered a little writing contest. No, you didn't, this is a joke. No! It was, who can come up with the best puns? I sent ten entries into this contest, but I didn't win. No pun intended. <laughs> Come on, that was funny. I knew it was a joke. 
<sighs> well, you know what? Okay, fine. No more jokes. No more bathroom, buddy. No, no more homies. Now that I'm a tumor, why don't you give me a day in history? You know, do you know why I don't laugh at your jokes? Because they're funny and you, you mute your yeah. mic. It's because I know when you're telling a joke. I've learned to tell when you're telling a joke. And well, sometimes they're kind of giveaways like, uh, hey, Lauren. Yeah, that is the biggest giveaway. So I'm kind of like, I, I, I stop myself from laughing. I, I just make my force myself not to laugh. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Lauren. What? Do you know how to cook an alligator? No. In a crock pot? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll stop. Go ahead. Give me your best day in history. Today in history. (laughs) That was was a pretty good one. So, I've got two. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Oh, you're pulling a Brian. I am, Ooh, that just sounded obscene, didn't it? Yes. I'm putting a tumor. <laughs> All right. What you got for me? Uh, so I've got two, both from the Tudor period. Um, so my, the first one was really intriguing, and I'd like to do some more research on this one because um, it was the 5th of September, 1569, um, during the reign of Elizabeth I. Edmund Bonner, Bishop of London, nicknamed Bloody Bonner, uh, died in Marshalsea Prison, which is weird because why was a bishop in um in a king in a in a in a monarch's prison when he should have been in his own prison well a better question is why would they name him bloody boner bloody boner bloody boner boner oh yeah yeah uh and so that was kind of like why was he in a uh crown prison and not in a church prison because they did have those because he was he was a bad motherfucker. Well, yeah, he did naughty things. That's hence the nickname. Yeah, that's why he had a bloody boner. Ay, ay, ay. And then the second one was um, the fifth of September, fifteen forty-eight. So um, just about nineteen years prior to that episode, that we have the death of Dowager Queen Catherine Parr from childbed fever. And no, it wasn't Henry VIII's child. It was her new husband, Thomas Seymour's, which was really dodgy because he only died in 1547 and I kind of would have wanted my freedom by that point. Okay, I got a question, and this is not a joke. Usually I make fun of these days in history. Yeah, yes. But now which Catherine was this? Catherine Parr. Okay. Number six. Yeah. So, the father of this child was Thomas. Was Tom Seymour? Is he related to Jane Seymour? Yes, he's Jane Seymour's brother. Ah, okay. See, now that's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he kind of like it was really weird because once you marry, once you married somebody, um, and they died, you kind of stayed family with the person that they were married to they considered you family so it's kind of weird no you know what's weird is yeah. that all of our friends that are like tutor historians like amber and christy and of course you know allison all these people are going brian didn't know that it was jane seymour's brother what a dumb fuck you did you, you, you did you just wanted it confirmed for you because you were thinking there are so many thomases and there are so many Catherines. who is who 
Yeah, because, you know, usually you give me numbers, Lauren, and I get confused yeah. on the numbers. Yeah. So, yeah, this is Catherine number three. Well, since you got two days in history, can I do two? Of course you can. Okay. Well, my first one I'm just going to do real quick because it's a shout-out to one of the most influential novels ever written. And that was Stay in History. Huh? To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, that's a pretty influential one, too, but not today. Today in History. September 5th, 1957, Jack Kerouac's On the Road is published for the first time. I prefer To Kill a Mockingbird. I prefer On the Road, but I'm much more a fan of, of the beat movement. But uh, that I just wanted to throw that out there because uh, just such a great, true classic American novel. Um, but my real day in history, the one I'd planned on, almost goes back to your uh, your time frame. Because my today in history, September 5th, 1698, Tsar Peter the Great imposes a tax on beards so my question is anybody who's seen me knows i have you know quite the substantial beard he has three beards three beards yeah three of them uh, at least but why the fuck should we call him peter the great sounds like peter the dick to me mm-hmm. why would why, why would he why would he put a beard tax on there lauren beard envy he couldn't grow one Oh, Peter had envy. Peter envy. It always goes back to the Schwanz with you, Lauren, doesn't it? You're always talking about the dinglings. No, I'm not. You are. You always talk about dingdings. When we talked about Rasputin, you asked the guy about Rasputin's dingding. No, I didn't. You did. When we talked to the head of Princeton University, you had to bring up the dingdings on all the Greek statues. No, I did not. You did. You did that. Stop lying. uh, That was me? Yes. What about when we talked about uh, the Statue of David and you brought up the ding-ding? No, I didn't. That was you. Hmm. What about the bloody boner? You brought that up. Boner. (laughs) All right. I think Sarah should be very concerned. Tomato, tomato, whatever. But that's okay because... We have, oh my God, I realize we've been acting like idiots today, and we have such a serious guest on today because the amazing Chris Shelton is coming back on to talk about destructive cults and how harmful they are. And all the people who are tuning into this show that have never listened to the show and are tuning in just to hear Chris Shelton, you, you got to forgive the ramblings. We're, we're idiots. Lauren is so perverted and says all these terrible, disgusting things, and I have to cover up for her all the time. And she tells bad jokes and talks about ding-dings a lot. My jokes are impeccable. You would laugh. You would laugh yourself into a coma, sir, if I told a joke. I'd like to hear a joke, Lauren. Not today. Okay. Well, since there's not going to be a joke, how about I fire up the magic interview box? Yes, please. It's the magic interview box. All right. And here's where we get serious, folks, because... Our friend, your friend, my hero, Chris Shelton, is going to come back on. We're going to discuss cults and, and destructive cults in particular with uh, just just one of the greatest guys in the world. And I'm so thrilled to have him back on. I think you should flip the switch. Lauren, 
Lauren, Lauren, I am so excited because again, I managed to bring one of our favorite guests back to the show. And this one's so cool because it's a personal hero and it makes me happy. And we're going to talk about things that aren't necessarily so happy, but at least we'll have fun doing it because the one and only Chris Shelton, the, 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 I don't want to call you a guru because that's probably the wrong term to use when we're talking about cults. Wait, please but, don't. <laughs> yeah. Our expert in resident expert on, um, let's just say destructive cults. There we go. There we go. And uh, Chris, it is so good to talk to you again, my friend. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's always fun being here, Brian. Thank you very much for inviting me. You are the busiest man on the web, I think. You have about 50 shows you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of crazy right now. I, I'm trying to figure out maybe a way of digging myself out a little bit because I've got like five shows a week and a lot extra live streams I dive into. This last couple of weeks has just been insane. But fun. I mean, it's always a good time, but it's just, wow, it's a lot of work. Well, I was, you know, using my, I went to school for advertising mm. and I've been putting my advertising brain to work. And I think you got to rename the show you do with Tony Ortega as mm-hmm. Taco Shells. Taco Shells? <laughs> Ortega Taco Shells. And your name is Shelton. Could be oh, Shells. Taco Shells. There we go. I'll, Plus, I'll, I'll, I'll float that by Tony. Let's see what he says. Who doesn't like tacos? <laughs> Who doesn't like tacos? That's actually uh, probably one of the most absolute truths that there that exists in the universe is uh, the, the yeah. truth of tacos. Yeah, uh, all tacos. Yeah. I mean, yeah. tacos. Are, Lauren, do you like tacos? Um, I, I've only had tacos once from Taco Val. So, yeah. Oh, no, you haven't really had tacos. That's like saying I had a hamburger once at McDonald's. Like, that's not. <laughs> really how that works <laughs> well yeah. we don't, tacos aren't really a thing here in wales but for some uh, reason american fast food chains like to come to us first before they go to england because we have a we have the only denny's i think there is another one opening up sometime this year but we have the only in swansea we only have we have the only denny's in the uk which is delightful food um there is the only um Popeyes in Cardiff wow yeah and then all of a sudden we had Taco Bell start popping up everywhere and in Cardiff oh and in Cardiff we also have I know it's Canadian but we also have Tim Hortons Tim Hortons I've heard of Hortons I've been there once (laughs) and it was the and I think Wales was I think Manchester was first so that one was England first but the second and the third one was in Cardiff. So it's very strange. We seem to be the place where American businesses like to come and test the waters. How interesting. Did you and and did I hear right? You said Denny's, as in the Denny's family sit down kind yeah. of restaurant. Moon is over Miami and uh, you know the breakfasts and all of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love Denny's. <laughs> Lumberjack slams, baby. Lumberjack yeah. slams. Yeah. yeah. It was blessed them because they came over here and they didn't quite understand that our food hygiene rules are different to Americans. So when the first, yeah, because when the first, the environmental health team came round, they did, they got a really low score. But that uh, was they didn't understand the di- differences. So then when they, um, when they came, they worked with them to sort of learn what they were doing wrong. And then they got a perfect score then. 
How interesting. The only city I've been in that I know of for sure that does food restaurant or food service grading uh, on a health inspection basis is Los Angeles. When Buffalo we were, does. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Buffalo, Buffalo does as well. And you have that because they had the um, they all have notifications on the window. Yeah. Of what what grade they get. Yes, we have a sticker. It goes from zero to five, and five is the best. Zero is the worst. Right, and we use the uh, A to F uh, classification, and I think I would never. Of course, very quickly you learn uh, you're never going to go to anything less than a grade A because you know the question, you know, how many cockroaches do you have to see before you get a B, right? So it's oh, like yeah. that. It's not so. always that as well because a lot of Chinese takeaways in here only get a three because of the cartons that they use they don't use things you can throw away they uh, you know they use plastic cartons and the food officers argue with them that people could bring them back and they recycle them wow huh. but it, it's just because the packaging that you get in america they can't buy over here and the cheapest thing they can buy is the plastic cartons so, How um, interesting. I, want to I love learning food. about these little differences, these little, you know what I mean? These these cultural changes. The real cultural difference is when Lauren in her accent says Popeye's and Taco Bell, it makes it sound good. Exactly. Exactly. It almost makes it sound legit. <laughs> I've not had a Popeye's, but I have had a Taco Bell. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I all I'll say is um, Taco Bell is not the even representative of what real Mexican food is. And it's definitely worth uh, looking deeper into that. However, yeah. you are in the weed capital of the country, so I'm sure there's times Taco Bell seems really good. Oh, absolutely. No, make no mistake. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, but I don't ever... Uh, I don't ever mistake that for for actual food. <laughs> no, it's munchy time. <laughs> exactly. Those are munchies. That's what that is. Oh, I am so happy to have you back on. Oh, thank you. Because, like I said, you're a hero to me. The work you do, I think, is about as important work that anybody in the world does. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know. You've been on before and we discussed your past because, you know, you come from a Scientology background where you were born into it pretty much, uh, mm -hmm. raised in it, escaped it, and then not just escaped it. And what a lot of people do is expose. You decided to educate yourself and become someone who can help others and family members of others who can escape these really destructive cults and organizations. That's right. That's exactly That's right. That's just amazing to me that you're like, you know what, fucking, I'm going to put this to good use instead of just, you know, being a loudspeaker, I'm going to help other people. And that that's incredible. And Thank to you. people like me who don't come from a cult unless you count pizza eating a cult, <laughs> you know, our view, especially those of us that grew up in the 70s. You know, what we thought of as cults, you know, uh, the Moonies, the Reverend Sun Young Moon. Um, we remember the Dianetics commercials in Scientology, and there's always that whispers, yeah, but that's a cult. Mm -hmm. And there would be movies, uh, a lot of made-for-TV films mm -hmm. about 
cults. But having not come from the inside like someone like you did, I would love to break down, and I hate to use the word entertainment when we're talking about cults, but how cults are represented in quote-unquote entertainment, what they get right, what they get wrong, who's done it well. Is it hurtful or harmful? Um, like, just for example, um, a huge smash hit, uh, what was it, a year or two ago was um, the, uh, uh, oh, my God, Lauren, I can't even think of it, oh, the, the Handmaid's Tale. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that put the whole concept of cult back into people's minds, especially in America. And, you know, there's been some pretty notable cults that have been exposed in the last few years here. So so I will say you've got to be careful with The Handmaid's Tale because that is toxic Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and, and you know, and that's not representative of the Christianity that I know. I'm, and oh, I'm no. Of. Exactly. That's what we're saying. That's a destructive cult, not just mm-hmm. a religion. That's right. That's exactly right. And there is a difference. And I and I try to take pains with people when they ask me about it to to define and, and clarify those differences, because there are a few too many people out there who take the attitude, a very black and white attitude, that all religion is a cult. Any belief set is a cult. Any idea that can't be proven in, under a microscope is just not worth knowing. And these are just not true things. There's there religion has all kinds of purposes and utility and 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 good reasons to exist. And I would never try to take that away from people. So clarifying the difference between those things is is one of the things I try to um, take the time to do. Exactly. And and something like um, that really extreme Christianity is obviously not there to serve the purpose of faith or religion. It's there to serve the people at the top of it. Oh, well, pretty clearly. And that's one of yeah. the defining characteristics of a cultic activity is that the people at the top are advantaged and the people down below are disadvantaged by by, by the very structure and framework and relationship of the of, of how it's put together. They're, they, they can't help but be victimized by the leadership. And that's that's where we can start drawing lines. Yeah. So my first question is, you know, you spent the 70s inside of a cult. Yeah, I mean, growing up and being raised in one, for sure, yeah. Did you see any of these made-for-TV films, like, about the Moonies, like Ticket to Heaven, or anything like that? And actually, acknowledge, whoa, those cults are weird. <laughs> um, yes and no. I mean, I don't recall as a child seeing these things growing up, but I, because that's when a lot of this was really blowing up, is I was born in 69, so... Um, so my teenage years were really the eighties is the, you know, is my, the, the, uh, what's the, what's the word? Anyway, my youth. <laughs> um, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to that sort of thing. The first awareness in my life of culty, overbearing, authoritarian control coming out of a religious activity or coming out of some kind of thing that I might call an extremist activity was the satanic panic. Uh, of the 80s, the mid 80s. And I was a avid player of Dungeons and Dragons, an avid reader. I, I was a I always had my my nose in a book and I was always into fantasy and sci fi and especially fantasy. 
And I loved all the, the, the creation and the fun of playing those games. And my friends in high school and I just had a, you know, we just spend hours and hours and hours doing that. And then the 700 Club and various other Christian groups and Tipper Gore and, you know, these various pushback would happen and the, and the McMartin preschool satanic, you know, crazy thing and all of this very hyped up, overblown, sensationalist activity that was riling people up was was insane to watch and we all knew as as people who actually were involved in the activities playing D&D in other words listening to music right oh my god rap music look, look out right uh there was an extreme amount of fear-mongering going on and outright lies and this is one of the times when false memory syndrome started being uh you know pushed uh, they didn't know it at the time. They thought they were drawing out real memories from these preschoolers of, of, of satanic torture sessions. And all of it was complete fantasy. It was all just panic. So that was my first exposure to how things can go really off the rails really fast. Oh, I got caught up in that. Um, you know, I, I was born in 74, so I'm a couple of years younger than you, but the 80s were my formative years. Yeah. And, you know, I was a long-haired guitar player who listened to rock music at that time. There you go. <laughs> and the the police department in my hometown was holding meetings for all the parents saying, your kids are Satanists and here's the signs. To look up. And my father reported me into the police as being a demonic devil worshiper. Ah, so silly. Because the signs were he listens to rock music and wears black clothing and has long hair. And my father reported me into the police as a devil worshiper. Oh, my goodness. And I'm lucky I wasn't one of the people they hauled off. Uh, yeah, yeah, you are. What, it, was, it was such a sort of social contagion at the time. I remember it so clearly and how, how crazy, frantic the adults were about these things that they truly, clearly did not understand. And, um, and the imagery of Dungeons and Dragons and, and, uh, Dio record albums and, you know, remember, and Slayer and Megadeth and all these things that were coming out at the time were, you know, quite alarming to some of these parents. But I think they forgot what it was like when they were growing up and how the sixties and the counterculture and the seventies and the, and, and the pushback. I think they just sort of, uh, willfully forgot what life was like for them as kids and somehow their fear. I, I think it was probably rooted in Jim Jones and Jonestown and the, oh, and, you know, absolutely. all of that. Yeah. And Manson really. Oh yeah. Even back to that. That's right. Um, I, 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 you've pointed out on your shows shows cause you have 150 different shows you do <laughs> uh, many times that, you know, a lot of cults, thrive on fear. Mm -hmm. And that's what the satanic panic was. It was fear. It was putting the fear of the different into people. I, I actually think stranger things really nailed that. I think you're right. I think you're right. That nailed it to a, to a good degree. Yeah, they really did. They covered it quite well. Now that I think about it, even though it was a show about really odd, paranormal, strange things that were really happening, they still got the satanic panic, right? Were the people freaking out about nothing. That's right. Yeah, it was great. That's right. Um, so you recognized it as this is crazy, culty strangeness. 
I did, Eve, and I and I was not yet deep enough into Scientology. I don't. I'd grown up around it. I certainly was familiar with the concepts and the and the the teachings and some of the the words of it. But it wasn't until I was 15 that I actually really started doing classwork. I mean, I'd done some children's classwork, so I so it wasn't my first go around when I was 15. But it was my first real intent purposeful attempt to learn Scientology for myself. And that's really when it all took off for me. But it was but I was still a you know, what what's the neophyte? You know, I was the still neophyte, a yeah. kind of Scientologist at the time. Plus I was fifteen years old. I was, you know, in high school. I was this, you know, kind of stuck up kid. So I had a lot of, you know, other things going on in my life besides Scientology beliefs. But as I between 15 and 17 is where I really started diving deep into the cult stuff. And by the time I was 17, graduated high school, is when I started working for Scientology. And that's the point of no return for me. Now, I know you, you talk primarily about Scientology. And the great thing I come in on a show like mine is we don't have to. We could talk about all the other things you're an expert in. But I do, because you just, you just forced me into it. I have to ask one more Scientology direct question. Yeah, what you got? And that is... What was Scientology's take on Dungeons and Dragons during the panic? You would think almost like they'd be in favor of it with a science fiction writer at the head. Oh, no, not at all. They were very anti, very anti D&D. I was advised to not play it. I ignored that advice because I knew better. But I was I was told straight up um, by Scientologists at the Santa Barbara Church where I was going at the time when I was doing my classwork that it is the way they put it is and I don't know if we want to get into the full blown explanation of all this nonsense but the way they put it was it would stir up past life memories that would be traumatizing to you all right so they went that angle they didn't do the jack chick um chick tracks that you know you're actually going to become a witch in a coven who's going to hang themselves because your character died those are wonderful no no the idea was that your identity and the identity of the characters you were role playing could be so easily confused and this could stir up trauma from past lives that it was better to just avoid it. They call this whole process of, of stirring up past trauma re-stimulation. You're re-stimulating past trauma. And, of course, I thought this was ludicrous because I'd been playing D&D for years and I'd never been stirred up about anything. It was just fun and games. And so, so again, it was one of those things where as a teen, my teenage angst and my teenage rebellion was – more powerful even at that point than my Scientology beliefs when it came to things I really did know about, and that was one of them. And do you still play D&D? I have um, fairly re- – like the last time I played was probably about four years ago because I haven't found you know, the time or people to play with locally. So about four years ago, I gave it a go of Pathfinder and then D&D, and it just kind of really wasn't the same. So I no. moved on. You know, I, I do a lot of board games and, and video games now. A friend of our shows uh, who's been on a few times actually is trying to start up an online D&D team of people that can meet up on Zoom or Skype and, and D&D together. And my girlfriend's interested and he's interested. So if you're interested, I can give you their names. <laughs> and that's OK. Yeah. And, and my main problem at this point is time. Well, yeah, because you have a 387 shows you do. I know it's ridiculous. I, I really probably should pare it down, but I, I you, can't. Yeah, you think it's bad for you? I, I listen to them all. <laughs> you do? Because oh, awesome. the number one complaint I get uh, from people when they do complain about it is 
um, you know, that there's just too much to consume. And I understand. I get it. I really do. I'm I'm trying to hit lots of different things at the same time with with these different shows. So it it's uh, but it's a lot. It, I, I, I understand. Well, your newest show, um, which is almost along the lines of what we're talking about today, which is, you know, the, the cult in the news. I mean, you, you're focusing on other stories. Yep. And that's phenomenal. I love that. And it's too short. Your shortest show. You got to You should lengthen that one up. You know, a bit. It takes me two full days to put that half hour together right now. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Two full days. It is ridiculous how long it takes to write those stories. Because uh, I don't just copy paste from other people's stories as much as I can. I'm trying to rewrite and present my own views on it. So it's it's time cons- it's a, it's surprisingly time consuming. <laughs> so I'm trying to bring it down to a day. <laughs> it is such a phenomenal show. Thank you. And, and, and I think it's something that so many more people need to see because I don't think a lot of people realize what's going on in the world around them now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this Mormon story we covered last week was shocking even to me. I could not believe uh, how much money they're sitting on. And most people have no clue, no idea at all. I mean, you talk about $150 billion with a B and mm-hmm. people's heads explode. They just have no idea how much money that actually is. It's And that's and that's after they're paying for everything. So they're just sitting on that money. It's not like they need any of those dollars to operate any of what they're doing. And you just think to yourself, what could somebody be sitting on that much money for? It's crazy. Well, because, you know, <clears throat> you know, you never know when uh, you're going to need those billions of dollars when the tacos, the Taco Bell jump up in price. And you're <laughs> high. Well, you know, it is it is a good idea to have a rainy day taco fund. That is true. I so. always, always have a rainy day taco fund. Yeah, that's true. So. Of all the movies, I mean, I'm sure you've watched a ton since you started educating yourself. Oh, yeah. Love movies. Um, what movies or documentaries about cults have really kind of – we'll start with the ones that kind of pissed you off. Like, that is so not right. They're getting it wrong, and it, it'll actually hurt people to see this. Well, that's a good question. Um, because I, I tend to look for, you know, okay, what are they getting right? Right. Um, but when you, I I guess I'll describe some of what I've seen in a few different places because specific shows are not a a specific show is not necessarily coming to mind right now. I should have maybe thought about that a little bit more, but what you see is either ridiculously easy, quote unquote, brainwashing, where somebody just has to look at you in a certain way or snap their fingers or, you know, here comes the watch and we're going to shake it in front of your head and suddenly you're a zombie. Th- these things are are incredibly simplistic and, and incredibly stupid. Uh, so I tend to rail against those. And also where people are too quickly taken in, it tends to be a slow process, not slow as in like years, but it tends to take days, weeks, months, Uh, it's not an instant thing to fall under the spell of somebody, generally speaking. There's always exceptions. So so when I see that kind of thing, that tends to be rather annoying. Um, But I don't see, you know, the, the good thing about this topic or about this topic in entertainment these days is as the years have progressed, 
Oh, okay. I'll give you a perfect example. Actually, now one comes to mind. Tom Hanks' first uh, serious movie. Mazes and Monsters. Yes, you remember it. That's exactly one. It was so wrong. We were ready to go find Rona Jaffe, I think the author of that thing, and 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 like burn her in effigy. Like we could not believe how bad D and D, the entire concept of role playing, the entire concept of this character who was mentally ill to start with, and suddenly the game was responsible for all of his issues, and he ends up kind of crazy and staring off into space at the end, if I remember right. It was the most lit- – oh, we were we were fit to be tied. We were so upset. You know, they did almost the exact same story on an episode of The Greatest American Hero. Oh, really? Wow. I mean, condensed yeah. into one hour, it's almost identical story. Yeah, the 80s was probably the worst time ever for that kind of thing. Ticket to Heaven was pretty good because um, I've seen it since. I, I, I saw it a couple of years ago. But – very few were actually getting it really right. There was so much hype, hyperbole in the storytelling. It was so over the top as far as how it works. And I think, again, a lot of I, I think it was still the cultural shock and the attempt to capitalize on that shock by presenting even more shocking material following Jonestown, following, you know, deaths, following like like really, truly problematic, culty issues. And people didn't yet understand why those things had happened, how they had happened, or even the progression of events required to make them happen. And so they kind of assigned all this magic to it. And that's that was why the 80s were just the worst time for trying to get across to people how this stuff works. It was such an overreaction to what had happened in, in such an opposite direction that, that everybody just lost their minds. It wasn't really until the 90s and really the 2000s when things started getting more realistic about how this stuff works. You know, another problem with the 80s um, is Society as a whole wasn't interested in what were really the dangerous cults out there. Um, you know, the, the the hippie communes of the 60s were so easy to manipulate and turn into cults, which oh, yeah. so many of them did, um, mm-hmm. like the Ant Hill Gang and things like that that were so vile and so disgusting and so degraded. But, you know, it was sexier to say that Satan worshippers are going to kill your animals and children that – Oh, they, absolutely. That's right. Ignore those tree huggers. They're not hurting anybody. That's and right. They were the worst offenders. Oh, those children of God with their flirty fishing. Yeah, that's all good. Yeah. It's sex, right? I mean, what's yeah. wrong with that? And oh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody really quite got their wits around it. And unfortunately, in um, well, so this is a whole nother topic, but academia certainly wasn't helping at that. time. no. No, academia, like jumping on the bandwagon of uh, regressions and hypnosis because we're getting grants. Oh, they're giving us money. If they weren't straight up just apologizing for the cults and justifying their existence. I mean, it was it was that was the birthplace of what we now refer to as the new religious movement thing, where there's a certain class of academics who just refuse to believe that these groups engage in nefarious practices and they just won't go there. And so they will not even refer to groups as cults or high control groups or authoritarian groups. 
they they don't even use any of that. It's all no, no. They're just new religious movements. They're just little baby religions who are making their way in the world. And and this was also an overreaction uh, on the other side. So it's been a it's been a real war ever since then trying to sort this stuff out. Well, especially since I, I don't think a lot of the general public realizes. And, and again, this is where you are so important to a society like ours to explain this that. A cult doesn't have to be religious cult. Um, you know, the Nexum, the the the, the um, business uh, man man's cult, That's or right. uh, you know, another big one would be. Oh, let me think of another non-religious cult. I just had one I was thinking of. With mm. Don, would what's happening with Donald Trump be considered oh, cult like? That's that's a full-on ideological cult, absolutely. It's a cult of personality that's blown up into a destructive cult. And I'll tell you a great example of uh, that just occurred to me, a really good example that was not stated as such, but it showed it. And everybody got the idea. Everybody instantly understood what was going on. Karate Kid. Yes, the martial arts cults. Yes, exactly. And they're exactly. still around. Oh, everywhere. They're, uh, if anything, they've proliferated. It's, and again – We're not saying all people who take Taekwondo classes or karate classes are in cults. That's not what we're saying, people. Please don't write me those hate mails. (laughs) (laughs) My uncle was North American champion in Taekwondo for like two years in like 79, 78, something like that. So it's not like I hate martial arts. But the martial art cult is a big thing. And it got blown up even more because of Karate Kid, the Steven Seagal and Jean-Claude Van Damme films, which weren't about cults, so to speak, but it all played into it. Oh, absolutely, because what ended up happening in society is a bunch of people who really didn't know much of anything, sometimes literally untrained people, would open up martial arts dojos, and they were establishing themselves as gurus and as sen- the, the term, and of course, in martial arts is sensei. And they would model themselves after this and present some bizarre, stupid, completely unworkable set of techniques that that don't take you anywhere in terms of actual fighting. And there was so much mystique and mysticism surrounding martial arts in the 70s, 80s and 90s to build on around this that so many people and especially once the birth of the Internet and then uh, even into the 2000s with YouTube and and there are now legit martial artists who make some of the funniest videos I have ever seen <laughs> taking part these guys, uh, these these quote unquote karate gurus, right? Who will tell you how to you know kill a man with you with your pinky and this without kind of, touching him. The, the, yeah, the exactly. Stare. Oh, full on. Yeah, you can yeah. sit there and you know you 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 train by standing in a lake. And, and poking the water without touching it until the water responds to your key, you know, your energy and this kind of thing. It's the most ludicrous nonsense you've ever had anything to do with. But it it really blew up. And there was this became a huge little cottage industry and becoming a martial arts guru and then running your and here's the key part about how it becomes a cult, just to be super, super clear, is these fake teachers or these teachers who maybe had some skills would see the potential of being able financially and physically to dominate a group of people who will come to them for teaching. And 
automatically because of the teacher follower, you know, teacher student relationship, they are automatically in a position of superiority and seniority to these people. And a lot of the time this was kids like they showed in the karate kid. Yeah. They're already calling them master. Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of language matters in the same way that so many of the cults, especially in the seventies and eighties, uh, would refer to the heads of the cults as mother and father. Yeah. Right. Create this family dynamic. And and uh, and it's very similar in uh, in the dojo. So um, so this was just ripe, just ripe for cultic activity to 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 flourish. And that's exactly what happened. And a lot of people lost an awful lot of money, an awful lot of time and even worse, sometimes uh, through the abuses that some of these uh, senseis, these so-called senseis would uh rain down on their on the on these kids yeah the 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 fake yogis uh, of the um uh, of the 60s and 70s who would hold these workshops and get followers and you know they would always advertise on college campuses come and learn to channel your inner you know and it was all manipulation and all and these things are still around and there are people the the leaders that have been busted and completely exposed and their followers still follow them and new ones are popping up every day, every day. This this is this is a kind of, you know, to be clear, there's no such thing as a world without cults. It's it, this is a constant problem. This is a constant battle. It's it's like trying to say the world without criminality. It's like, yeah, OK, good luck because uh, it, it, new people get born and they fall into, you know, rough times or whatever. And there we go. So, so this is going to be a constant fight for us, and that's why, you know, I do what I do because in trying to educate and inform. And thankfully, you know, with all the exposure of this and and much bigger names than me working on this, like Leah and, and uh, Alex Gibney and um, other creators who who do this work and have created some amazing pieces of work exposing Scientology and the Moonies and the Jehovah's Witnesses. And now we have on Netflix how to become a cult leader. I mean, it's that out there in society now that you can put out these successful miniseries educating people. That's what they're doing. They're little mini documentaries and and they don't get everything perfect, but they get it right enough. And that's and society's really changing uh, slowly, very, very slowly, very slowly on this. But it is happening. But the, with, it was like the, the, the explosion of UFO cults. And, and I don't know if you count Scientology as a UFO cult, even though it technically is. I mean, yeah, it, it would be cla- that would be one way out of many of classifying it. Scientology is such a wide variety of things to so many people. But you, you look at the, the, the Heaven's Gate cult or mm-hmm. um, what, what was the other one in California uh, with Ariel? Oh, God, that was a fun one. Where they would let the doves out of the spaceship every year, and oh, I'm an, familiar with that one. Oh God, I'll, I'll look up That's stuff and send it to you. That sounds interesting. Often, yeah, you gotta you gotta link me to that one. Heaven's yeah. Gate, of course, I know all about, but yeah, that's wild. There have been so many of these doomsday death UFO. Let's go off and be alien cults, and of and course, it shows how pop culture influences that because those exploded after Star Wars. That's you know, you right. get a big science fiction film, Star Trek. Got a lot of people. Michelle Nichols' brother was in the Heaven's Gate cult. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. That's right. You know, the influence pop culture has on these things unintentionally a lot of times. But when they do it intentionally, like some of these cults make 
their own movies, their own propaganda. Uh, famously, in the 1950s, the Hollywood studio made one for a cult. Um, the the, um, the 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 anti-drug cult, the heroin, um, kick the heroin addiction cult. Oh, that's interesting. Because I would it? almost consider. Um, oh, what was the pot one? Oh, Reefer Madness. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's the first thing I thought it was Reefer Madness. Do you know why those films were made? It was propaganda. <laughs> well, those were propaganda. A lot of those are financed by William Randolph Hearst because he owned the paper mills, and hemp was much cheaper than than paper mills. Uh, so let's make I, weed this evil thing. But I'm trying to think of the name of the cult. Started in California. He kept buying bigger and bigger and bigger properties, and it was a self-help cult hmm. that was all Sin- the women ended up Sin- shaving Sin- their head. Sitting on. Synanon. Yeah, it started out as a drug rehab. Their movie yeah. was a major Hollywood-backed movie. Oh, okay. I I did not know about the movie part of that. I knew about the snake in the mailbox part, but I didn't know that they made a oh, movie. Yeah. The, the, oh, yeah. It was a movie made in the 50s. Oh, yeah, there it is. It was literally a movie called Synanon. Chuck Connors was in it. Yeah, and it was a major studio film. How funny. Wow. But that just shows how people didn't realize how to and it was the destructive stuff was already going on by then. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. In 65 they were already well on their way toward full-blown cultum. And they were allowing studios to come in and film this. And not only that, the studios like this seems healthy. <laughs> well, it's really it's really see, this is the thing about these is you can't tell just by looking at a group whether they're culty or not. I mean, it has it has to do with behavior over time. It has to do with repeating patterns of, of abuse. It has to do with codependency between the leader and the follower. And you can't just look at people and see if they're codependent. You know, you got to go talk and, and watch and see. And it, 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 it takes a little bit more look, you know. And you're never going to get the full story from the, the followers when oh. you're looking. You no, know? Not at all. Yeah, that's why you have to look, not listen. You know, you got to really just watch what's going on. But a lot of these cults finance their own projects. Their own documentaries promoting their cults. Big time. Scientology is a full-blown, oh. fully professional, and I mean fully professional, film studio. They have two of them, in fact. Uh, one in the heart of Hollywood and the other one out in San Jacinto. And you could make... You could literally produce major motion pictures at the at, at the gold facility out in out in. Uh, uh, I've Saint- actually heard that, that I don't know if it's still, but like 15 years ago they were the state of the art studio out there. Yeah, no, for sure they 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 sunk hundreds of millions into that place, uh, a lot of money. They and they wanted they wanted to produce films and they did produce films. There's internal properties for Scientologists that are. Um, Written by Hubbard uh, or or outlined by Hubbard. And uh, in fact, the guy, the guy who was most responsible for producing most of those films just got out is a couple of years ago. His name is Mitch Brisker, and he started a channel and and uh, absolutely amazing stories he's telling about his time there making all these films for Scientology. What happens when. And, and it has happened when a cult is trying to do- make a documentary supporting themselves, but the people actually making the documentary realize, holy shit, this isn't what we thought it was. 
And the finished product has come out actually showing people how dangerous and destructive it is. Hmm. Um, has that happened? It happened with the, the the one where they were taking the kids and sending them off to like South America for Jesus study. Um, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, sending them off to another country. That's that's Jim Jones. Like, yeah, that's when things get a little scary. It was to help yeah. their kids find Jesus. And, you know, they were making this documentary themselves. And then the documentary filmmakers like a two, year, year or two into it realized, oh, my God, this isn't something good. And they completed the project. Wow. And it got released. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened in Australia with one of the cult leaders. You know, he was financing them to do a documentary about how I'm this divine leader. And the filmmaker realized, couldn't tell them halfway through, I know you're full of shit. But Right, right. Why? And like you said, there are finally starting to come around with how to be a cult leader, um, Netflix documentary series. But why do you think it was only uh, sensationalist news broadcasts? That would talk about this stuff up until recently. You know, you would get like uh, Geraldo doing a special on cults, but you wouldn't get serious That's mainstream right. or even well, serious Hollywood or serious news. Nobody wanted to touch it. No, it takes a while for it to sort of bleed into or soak into the cultural consciousness the reality of the situation versus the extreme sensationalistic, oh, look at those, you know, it it starts with a sort of tittering. It starts with a sort of, well, it's like that old statement they say, right? First they laugh at you. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of thing. This is, this is social acceptance. And, and, and that's, and it's a true thing. And you can watch it with, with lots of different things and cults are a persistent truth. They exist, whether you believe they exist or not. The cult leaders do what they do, whether you know they do or not. And the more exposure and the more we learn about them, the deeper they, the the journalism is willing to go. Where at first it's Geraldo and the weirdo stuff, it's it's practically the, you know, um, you can't really take it too seriously because it's like National Enquirer level of, yeah. of journalism. But but slowly over time, even National Enquirer has broken legit stories. And, and over time, these become more and more real to people as more and more people realize that everyday people they know live right next door to, might even be related to, actually can and do get caught up in these groups. And when it happens often enough, over enough geography, then the cultural awareness rises and then you get more serious looks at it. And I don't really think we had very serious looks at it until around until the 2000s. I mean, for like like that, we're that we're making a difference across the, the spectrum, so to speak. You know, like when Tom Cruise was jumping up and down on Oprah's couch and then shoot yeah. out Matt Lauer. People were pretty aware that something was really wrong with Tom Cruise, and it was probably connected with Scientology. But I think a lot of people saw that and just thought, oh, Tom Cruise is doing cocaine now. Yeah, well, that's true. Some people did think that. But the but fact that's against Scientology's people, beliefs. Well, it is, of course. But that's people are going to make up things for when they don't know. But it was it was encouraging to me to see how many people spotted exactly what was going on and now 
15, what are we almost 20? No, about 15 years later. Now everybody knows for a fact, it's not even like debatable anymore that Tom Cruise is absolutely in a cult that doesn't make any damn sense at all. And to that degree, he's probably a bit nuts. He still makes great movies and everybody loves the movies, but they know there's something really wrong with this guy, especially when he never sees his own kid. You know, and that's something that everybody can relate to. So it's it's a matter really of finding. And and I think that's an important point. I think it's a matter of finding relatability in the stories. You know, the Karate Kid was incredibly relatable. Everybody, you know, but they didn't call it a cult. But everybody kind of knew you watch it and you go, there's something really wrong with that place. And now we would look at it and go, oh, yeah, Kreese was a cult leader. (laughs) That's simple. Without question. Yeah, but, but I think another problem we have is is is, is it's sexy that sells the story, oh, and I don't necessarily mean for sex sake, but I'm saying like, you know, one of the biggest cults to be exposed in years, nobody would have given a shit about if it wasn't for a certain actress from Smallville being part of it. Well, and the and the and the branding as well, it was sensational like crazy. Dexium, you're talking about? Yeah, but people knew about it before it became known that she was part of it. That's when it exploded. What? Someone who's famous was part of this? Interestingly, I will say that it was in the 2000s that things took a turn on that. The whole issue of this is a whole nother topic, but but celebrities in cults being used to promote the cult was completely okay until the 2000s. (laughs) That's that shift I'm talking about, right? Like everybody thought Tom Cruise was legit through the 90s. And when he said in GQ or Vanity Fair, go buy a Scientology book, or he would go on Good Morning America and say, well, I'm not going to tell you what Scientology is. Go read a book. People did. Now, if he were to do that, people would laugh at him. And that's a huge change. It's a huge social change shift uh so it so celebrity actually became a double-edged sword for these cults now they're not really pimping their celebrity members the way they used to scientology is a great case study of that they had a whole uh stable of celebrities that they would trot out uh kirstie alley john travolta tom cruise uh now the celebrities who are scientologists they don't want to talk about it and nobody asked them and Tom Cruise refuses to go anywhere where anybody's going to ask him about Scientology. He just well, I would, I would also think Scientology would want to keep that kind of quiet now, too, because for no, a couple of reasons. One, they're, they're not if, happy with that. You don't think so? Because I would be thinking the Masterson thing blew up in Scientology's face. Yeah. Um, yeah. It did. Leah Remini coming out blew up in their face. You know, it's almost like, you know, maybe we don't want our names attached to these people because if they leave, it's going to destroy us. Or if they do something bad, it's going to destroy us. They're not going to leave. I mean, in the case of John Travolta and both Tom Cruise, it's symbiotic. You can't have one without the other. I mean, they've got their hooks so far into them that if they left, they'd lose everything, including, I mean, his eldest children are Scientologists. I mean, Nicole Kidman doesn't see her oldest children because she's not allowed to. Right. So he loses if, everything if he leaves. He's stuck. Um, I have a little bit of a different take on that, I think. But 
I I believe Tom Cruise is absolutely the one keeping himself there, but he doesn't. The thing that most people don't seem to get about Tom Cruise is he is capital T true believer. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt about that. Well, but there's a lot of people who don't want to believe that. A lot of people, the media, the journalists who report on Scientology almost to a to a person truly believe he is there because he's being blackmailed to stay there and they are desperate for him to leave. We get every six months, every year or so, we get these Tom Cruise is leaving Scientology stories. And that's just complete and utter crap. But it's actually wishful thinking on the part of an awful lot of people who don't understand and refuse to accept that this guy's head is fully up L. Ron Hubbard's behind. He really, truly believes it. And it's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow because they look at his work and they look at him and they see this very successful person and they think, well, I want to be like that, except I don't want to be a Scientologist and have to believe in Xenu. So they don't want to believe that he's there of his own accord and that he's really that far gone. But the fact is, he is. And that's that's, I, I, I that's don't tough. Think, like, for me, it's not a case of thinking that he doesn't believe it. I mean, it, it's quite evident that he truly, sincerely believes that he's not that good an actor. But I just think that sincerely that if he were to leave, that Scientology would come after him so hard that he would end up losing everything that way. Oh, no, no. And that's not what would happen, because um, Tom Cruise is actually in a position monetarily, power wise and support wise that if he were to leave, if he were truly to see what's up and go, oh, my God, I have been such a fool. And he's and if he were to come out and even if he were quiet about it, even if he were like Laura Prep on about it, if he didn't talk about it a lot. He is secure enough in his life and his positions that Scientology would not be able to take him out. Uh, could they cause him trouble? Of course they could. Would it be difficult for him from time to time? Yeah, of course it would. They would they would expose secrets and they would do stuff. But but Tom Cruise lives in this rarefied air. You know, he's 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 so up there that I don't think that Scientology is going to be able to ruin him utterly, not the way they could come after somebody like me or even somebody like Leah. You know, it's just a whole different level uh, of things. Someone like Travolta. Same. And I'm not saying he would because John Travolta, I think is one of those people who is, is is an occult, but his heart is absolutely in the right place. He's a sincere Mm -hmm. believer and he thinks he's doing good. I don't think there's anything malicious about, John Travolta's belief in Scientology. And that's another thing that you were very good at pointing out. A lot of people who go after cults and bash them always just say, oh, these people are fools and they're idiots. No, the majority of people in them, their hearts are in the right place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 99% of them. Absolutely. But Travolta was that big at one point, but he's not now. No, but he's and it would be a massive adjustment for him if he were to come out. But he's such a true believer. And, um, you know, and he lost his wife. He lost his kid. I mean, he and he doesn't really pay any attention to the media. John Travolta is like no. kind of his own little bubble. So so there's nothing really compelling or impelling either of these guys to leave. They're, no, they're I don't think they ever would. 
No. And Scientology has handlers right up against them. I mean, in their personal life. And that would be the big clean out that both of them would have to do is they'd have to get new staff. And I mean, it would be a whole change for them. I'm not I'm not even trying to say it would be easy. I'm just trying to say that they could do it. And if Tom did it, he would get so much support from the entire world. And if they came after him, everybody would know exactly what was going on. And Tom wouldn't be quiet about it because he's not that kind of guy. No, he jumped you up know? on a couch. Oh, he's well, he jumped, jumps off mountains. I mean, the guys, <laughs> the, you know, there's a lot of things about Tom Cruise that are that are truly worthy of admiring. He's he's a brave man. He's a very, 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 very hard worker. And he takes his job seriously. But he's also got an ego that is bigger than my house. And it's and he and it won't ever stop. And he's and that's his downfall is his narcissism. And, and Scientology has only grown that narcissism. And when you when you hear how he is in real life behind the scenes, when the cameras aren't around, you realize you're dealing with somebody who's got very skewed ideas of, of what a good person is. You know, Lauren brought up earlier um, Trump and the cult around Trump, and I don't want to just limit it to him. Sure. Even though it, it certainly is um, a cult of personality around not just him so much as MAGA for whatever. Well, that's say. what it grew. That's the ideological yeah. cult that grew from this cult of personality. Yeah. But, you know, people have always had strong political beliefs and they were always radical, politically minded people. Mm -hmm. But it seems like both left and right now have become not politically motivated or extreme political people, but it really has become cult-like. The extreme left is a cult that hates anything that doesn't fit into their box of beliefs. As far as the, the, the right, same thing. That's right. Do you see it as, as like I do, that it's become more of a cult than it is um, an extreme political belief? Well, Yes and no. What I what I see are the extreme ends of ideological spectrums or the extreme ends of any spectrums are always going to be extreme. And and when and culty behavior is, by definition, extreme, it goes out to the to the limits. So so they're synonymous and, and there's a point where they're indistinguishable. But how you get there could be different, could be different roads. In other words, if you're sitting in your home radicalizing yourself on the Internet it's a little hard to say you're in a cult. There's, is there a leader? Is there a leader figure? Is there a relationship? Is there a, are you being abused in this relationship? Or are you simply going down a rabbit hole of belief and radicalizing yourself? And that's kind of a little bit of a different picture than your Scientology synonym, you know, kind of cult leader is going to take over your life kind of thing. Well, the internet changed cults. I'm sorry? Then you go down the rabbit hole of thinking the suffragettes were a cult. Because sure. They, they well, exactly. They, see, and this is the this is exactly the misconceptions. That's exactly right. Because then you can take movements either in history or now that are actually simply fighting for equal rights or human rights, and you can label them a cult because you don't like the way they talk about it, or you don't like the way they push for it, or you don't like their activism. And that's a whole different thing, which is why I always take such great pains to try to separate belief, what the belief is, from what you're doing with it. 
And, it's, and, if, and if you can have people who have extremely good values and they go absolutely insane over it and they'll go kill people or they'll go you know, break into houses or they'll justify criminal activity because it's the greatest good and that kind of thing. And that's when you're looking at like, hey, wait a second, who's is somebody riling this up? Is somebody making this happen and and sort of coercively controlling these people into this behavior or is this kind of a more organic contagion of psychosis kind of situation, which tend to be shorter term and people can go in and out of it a lot faster and a lot easier because it's not as formalized. Mass hysteria type thing where everybody is reading the same thing. They have the same thing and they're, they're bouncing off each other rather than egging each other and trying to control each other to do something. That's right. That's right. So these things become they look on the surface again, right, as I was mentioned earlier, you can't just look at a thing and go, oh, it's a cult. It's you got to you got to dig in a little bit more because it can look very extreme and look very crazy and still not necessarily be a cult. Well, like the Internet has changed everything in the world. Everything. It's changed cults. Um, mm-hmm. y- you look at how cults could be recruited, how people could be sucked into them, how, um, you know, even the hate groups or the, the, the neo-Nazi groups or the or, or literal fascist groups, QAnon. What was yeah. that woman in Canada who claimed to be? Was she the queen of Canada or something? Yeah, she's still up there. She's still up there roaming and around. She got a following of people who worship her. That's right. Yeah, That's there's, right. there's somebody there's somebody in the UK who um, thinks that he is the true king of the United Kingdom. I can't remember. I think it. Uh, yeah, it is. His name is Neil <laughs> Story. In Canada, they can take over. <laughs> and, um, no, uh, he is. He is a trooper. He and he will manipulate people into thinking it because there was one time they were taking off. This is before the Queen passed away and they were mending the gates and to mend the gates. They took the insignias off just in case they fell off or broke while the repairs were going on. And he said it was because he was actually moving into Buckingham Palace and the Queen had given him the throne. And it was just hilarious. And like people um, actually, I'm not going to name names, but somebody who came on this podcast started following them. And it Uh, was (laughs) as a believer. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's the thing, man. It's it, anything's possible when it comes to this but stuff. It's wild. He went really quiet after the Queen died and, and King Charles came to the throne. He went silent. So I guess it was a, a case of, of, you know, he couldn't fight that. I don't want to be the King of America. <laughs> Trump does. <laughs> I don't. I can't even be the king of my apartment because I have two cats. Right. And you know, they run the place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used to have a cat. Yeah. Now we have a dog. He, he runs the place now. <laughs> I don't think Trump wants to be the king of America anymore. I think he must be king of the world. Mm. Oh, there I'm... are people that call him that. <sighs> yeah. yeah. As well as the second coming of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. It's, oh, it's no. So... Oh, no. I, First, it's... What's it? Yeah, no, I, th- I think in the book that I saw, they were claiming that he was the son of man who Jesus prophesied about without realizing that when Jesus spoke about the son of man, he was actually talking about himself. Well, I've also heard him compared seriously to King David uh, by certain evangelical in certain evangelical circles and uh, and legit referred to as the second coming. 
And well, that's not like being comparing yourselves or being compared to King David isn't that shocking to me because I mean we Henry VIII compared himself to King David all the time. That's true. (laughs) I would say there's a similar personality right yeah I, yes and, and yeah also you know um he made certain moves to be in total control of both state and religion in the in britain yeah you know actually that's a really good point um would you consider henry the eighth a cult leader because he actually had no. the balls to break his his country away from the church and form his own religion no he wasn't a cult leader i wouldn't i wouldn't say he was a cult leader no i wouldn't either um i wouldn't say that at all he couldn't inspire people to go um people did do things in his name because he was the king but then you could have had a potato on the throne and they'd have done things in the potato's name they did it because he was he what he of, of what his throne represented rather than the person you see how lauren is she always makes fun of us irish guys talking about potatoes running the world <laughs> no it's a common misconception i get it all the time about government leaders and government bodies even economic systems are you know some people just think very sloppily about this stuff and they think oh communists or cults are in a cult the, the cult of communism the cult of liberalism the cult of biden and you're like who the hell has got billboards and trucks and flags and repainting their house yeah. with biden's name all over it what are you talking about there is no cult of biden biden's not running a cult and, and a government structure and an economic system are not cults. They are economic systems and government structures. It's a whole different thing. But there are very there are too many people, and this is why I say it's going so slow. There's still there's still so much work to do. There are still so many people who think any control system that I don't like is a cult, and they just don't get it at all. And and I constantly back on this. That's similar to people that go oh, I don't like that person. They're such a narcissist. And they're not a narcissist. They just don't like them. That's right. That's but right. where do you draw the line with someone like uh, the, the whole sovereign citizen movement? Well, see, that's a really, really good example because that is um, not a cult. It's a social movement that is behaving very culty. Very cult-like. Very culty. And that's why I featured it on the show, right? It's because it's so damn culty. Because some of the quote-unquote sovereign citizen, you see, I can't even say leaders because they don't have leaders as such, but they have figureheads. They have individual chapters and factions, and certain people will stand up and be like spokespeople, kind of like in the atheist world, there's no atheist leadership. There's no atheist leader. It's not that monolithic. But you do have figureheads and celebrity figures who stand out, produce a lot of content, end up being people who become popular. And they can form what I will, what I try to differentiate as cults of personality around them. People will get enthralled by them and, and get very um, – kind of obsessed about that person and hearing everything that person has to say. And you get this kind of little mini culty kind of thing going on around that person. But they're only one tiny part of a larger social movement that is not really structured the same way we talk about destructive cults. Well, exactly. Fandom 
confusing, you know? Yeah, like fandom yeah. and cults are totally different. I mean, look, yeah. Taylor Swift, you know, will sell out a concert in two minutes for a concert two years away. She's got a huge following, but that does not make Taylor Swift a cult leader. Exactly. exactly. Now, if she puts out an album of instructions of people of how to worship her, I may have to rethink that. But she's not doing that. You got it. And that's exactly my point is when I talk about codependency, I mean active dedicated premeditated activity on the part of the leadership to uh, you know sort of bring in and control the followers and the followers need that leadership they they bow to it worship it follow it as though it is holy writ whether it's religious or not and that's and that cult of personality is the sort of between stage of that you know celebrity cults and this kind of thing. I mean, I, you know, could I have said I was in a Star Wars cult growing up? Sure. But was it destructive? Was it like, you know, taking over my life? No, not at all. Well, that, that's another thing. The terminology. <laughs> what was that? Uh, I just said the Star Wars cult took away all my pocket money. It did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The terminology is weird, too. I am a film buff and I prefer, I love obscure films. I love weird films. I love what are called quote unquote cult films. And just that term alone, I, I, you see a lot of people say, Oh, he's into cult films. He must be a weirdo. It's the misuse of the term. I, I It's weird. But what do you think? Like we were talking about how an entertainment, um, the cult, of, the, the document about the cult of Larry, which you've done episodes with the, the, the people who were involved in it, which was phenomenal, or the new shiny, happy people cult. Mm-hmm. Do you think. I, I know a lot of people who've watched like the cult of Larry one and walk away laughing at it. I don't think it has the impact that it should on them. Do you think these documentaries are on the right path or do you think they're. Is there something else they should do for the impact or do you think they're hitting it on the head and some people are just ignorant? All of the above. <laughs> yeah. All of the above. I mean, we could do a better job. We're always trying to do a better job. Right. But you're, there is no such thing as a universal message that everybody's going to going to get it. There's no such thing. It just doesn't work that way. It's repetition. except Grogu. Everybody loved Grogu. <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I knew people who were just like, Ugh, I don't, I don't, Yoda too, what? So, um, no, it's, it, there's always going to be, you know, some people who just aren't going to get it. And there's, and I believe there's a certain percentage of the population who are never going to get it. It is just not cognitively there, but, uh, or they're just too wrapped up in their own cults to be able to, you know, peer out enough to be able to get educated about it. So, so it's a, it's a, it's difficult, but we could do a better job. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you an example of something that probably hit the nail on the head better than anything I've seen in a very long time that was not a documentary was uh, the show Severance, season one of Severance. Did you see it? I've not seen it, no. Oh, it's beyond worth seeing. It is so good. I, um, I was really surprised when I delved into researching who the writer and show creators were to find out that how little experience they actually had with cults compared to the product they put out. And interestingly, they were basing the show just as much on corporate America culture as they were on cult culture. And oddly, these two things 
seem to be, <laughs> you know, on on trajectories of, of of looking exactly the same in so many ways. Well, if you look at it, they've been on a parallel path for a long time because I mean, I'll probably get hate mail for this, too. But uh, your multi-level marketing and your pyramid schemes are cults. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. Every single one of them are. I don't even have and any that's a capitalism that. cult. That's right. That's, that's exactly what it is. is. That's right. And they're worldwide. And they are awful. And the reason they're cults is not because they are taking your money. They are not cults because they are selling a product. They are cults because of how they recruit you and how they retain you and how they treat you when you leave. And those things are are, are crucial to how we look at what a cult is. And the, and the recruitment techniques that are used for MLMs, for any multi-level marketing, Herbalife, Amway, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are the exact same as what Scientology and the Moonies do. I'm, the exact same. It's not even like a questionable point. So, so these MLMs are absolutely, totally destructive to people's lives. And they don't even realize they're being recruited into a capitalist cult. Like you said, I love that term. Um, that's, uh, I'm probably going to use that. By all uh, means, it's yours. Yeah, it's a great one because that's exactly what they are. Is they are they are uh, you know the quest for money and the quest to get yourself out of your socioeconomic circumstances, which is legit. There's it's a perfectly valid reason to want to improve your circumstances. But these groups are never the answer. You will never make the money that they promise, and in no. fact, you ruin your social contacts in the process. You start no, to see that type of behavior, though, happening in the paranormal world as well with paranormal investigators. You have some certain personalities that are rising. And if they and all these offshoot groups sort of worship them and hold them up as an example. But then if you cross them, you're then acted as then treated as a prior. You're you lose your job and people won't work with you, like actively will not work with you. And that is behavior that I'm seeing more and more coming across in the paranormal world, which is quite concerning. I don't think it's a, attained the level of being a cult quite yet, but it's on its path to being that. It, well, I would I maybe we could say there are certain individuals in that field or area that act like cult leaders and, and accumulate followings around them. Would that be an accurate way of putting it? That would be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And these it, it tends to be the fact that supernatural, paranormal, you know, the type of wooey, what we'll say woo, um, whether we're talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's goop or we're talking about what Marshall Applewhite did. I mean, he was not running a religion. No, what they were doing was not religious worship. It was transcendency. And and that's a whole nother take on it. And that. Anything like that that's promising some sort of supernatural or anything like that, it attracts cult leaders like magnets, you know, attract iron fillings. It's it's crazy how how easy it is in those genres to accumulate a cult following and take advantage of those people. Which is exactly what the martial arts cults are. Exactly. Exactly right. Because no. these guys will promise you. They see, these are the guys who were getting into the mysticism of it and the supernatural of it and the, you know, the key of it or the quan of it or the whatever word they wanted to pull out of their butts about it. 
it's all just nonsense. But but people want to believe nonsense because their lives are not always what they want them to be and they don't know what else to do to change it. And so here comes somebody who just happens to be saying the words that they needed to hear in that moment and it hooks them and then they're in. Now, I know we've already gone over time what I told you we'd go. So I got to ask one more question if you allow yeah. it. Yeah. And, and this you're going to you're going to have to you're going to have to put your crystal ball out. Get it out. We're going to okay, here we go. Now. Prediction time. <laughs> the future of what will become cults of the future. Mm-hmm. Do you think you will ever see another one that can get on a huge level like uh, the Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or Scientology even? Or do you think it's going to be small pockets like that will form around a, a little internet group and there'll be pockets almost like the cult of Larry, a small cult that doesn't expand, but that's... Because in this, this day and age, the whole internet everybody goes down so many rabbit holes it seems like everybody can find their own individual cult if they want no, that's and right. I don't know, do you think there'll be another huge major one that can take over the world like that or do you think it'll all be small pockets well relatively speaking all cults are relatively small pockets i mean even a even a group the size of the mormons that's 17 million people and it's a tiny drop in the bucket compared to 8 billion people on the planet so even the major cults, Jehovah's Witnesses are another one that come to mind, millions and millions of members. Um, Scientology, on the other hand, we're talking about you know a few 10,000. Um, Not always, according to Miscavige. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You're right, Miscavige. Uh, no, this is the, we're always going to have these things around. And the thing about cults is, even within the world of Christianity, we see like shiny, happy people. Now, does that make all Christians cultists? No, of course it doesn't, not even remotely. But you have a large swath of people who are wrapped up in a a belief set and behavior that is absolutely destructive to them and their kids and their and the and the women in those groups, especially. So is that going to carry on and continue into the future? Of course it is. Uh, If not here, over there. And when it's not happening over there, it'll come back over here. It's you know, the world's a big place and people are susceptible to this. They're always susceptible to this. Even when you're educated in it, you're susceptible to it because everybody's got emotional needs. Everybody's got, you know, emotional reactions to things. So we're always kind of kind of have to have this problem to deal with. But like demonology, maybe, maybe over time, enough education, enough critical thinking, enough uh, reform of our educational system so that kids are armed well before they are put out into the world, that could change things so that it's not as prevalent and as much of a problem. And that's the world I'd like to see. I don't know that I'm going to live to see it, but I'm certainly going to keep working for it. Well, I'm just glad to live in a world where people like you are out there helping people. And not just helping people in the cults, but the families of those, the friends of those, explaining to these people what it is, how to deal with it, how to handle it. And I mean, that's like I said, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The work you do, um, if I believed in a God, I would say you should be sainted. Oh, but I don't. So you won't. So, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. You're very kind. And please tell Leah, I know you speak to Leah, and I know she's involved in a pretty big case right now, so she can't really talk to people. But if you could send her a message that I just said, add a girl, you go, girl. 
And when it's all said and done and it's over and she's willing to go on show, she's always welcome on here with you. But uh, tell her I'm in her corner plotting her all the way. She is one of my favorite comedians. (laughs) Absolutely. I will definitely let her know she has uh, fans out there rooting rooting her on on this. Uh, She she checked in with me a couple weeks ago. She's doing great. Yeah, she is. Um, She's a. She's winning the battle, which um, I don't think anybody ever thought could be won. Yeah. And that's pretty impressive. I really think she's taken into the mat. And we'll see. We'll see how this goes. You know, um, ending a group like Scientology is not a one case situation. But if this case could impinge on or stop some of the more ruthless fair game practices that Scientology engages in, then she will have done have done really championship work. That's what she's going to do. She's going to bring it to light. She's going to have people see it that have never seen it. That's right. That's right. And that's always the, that's always the, the effort because the more people who know about it, they share it. They tell other people about it. They, you know, teach their kids about it and we have a different world as a result. And that's, that's the best we can hope for. Yeah. And and like I said, uh, and like you said, it's not people in these cults. Most 99.9% of these people, their hearts are in the right place. Of course they are. We're, we're not hating on anybody. Um, but, you know, if people need help, there's always great to know there's people like you out there that can help them. And do you have anything to plug other than your 563 shows? <laughs> okay, well, obviously you can check out my YouTube channel. Check out the content. It's all there for you. I've got over 1,000 videos of, of stuff I've produced over the last 10 years on this topic and uh and i've talked about a lot more than just scientology of course and as i carry on i'll, I'll be doing more of that um i've also got a book scientology it is a new if you are curious really curious about scientology then that would be the book to read it's all it's not my memoir it's a breakdown of the topic and it really explains it quite well and um and then of course my podcast the sensibly speaking podcast which you can check out audio or video either on my youtube channel or at sensiblyspeaking.com and, and will you join us again sometime? I always love talking to you, and you're always welcome on. Absolutely, Brian. I always have a good time talk, talking with you guys here. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. And Thank you. from Brian in Buffalo. And Lauren in Swansea. Good night. Good night. <laughs>